Last, last week we uh, dealt with the spirit of this age. And so we continue dealing with that, the spirit of this age. So uh, where do you get the idea of the spirit of this age? Uh, in uh, German, and you hear this very often at Regent, there's this German word called Zeitgeist, which is basically the spirit of the times. And um, it's often used um, by theologians too. But if you look at Ephesians 2, you'll find um, Ephesians 2, verse 2 and 3. That's where you find the idea of the spirit of the age. And um, it, it, different, different characteristics of, this, of, of the devil become evident in different eras. So in the 60s, it was different. In the 80s, it's different. In the 2020s, it's different. But if you look at Ephesians 2, verse 2 and 3, um, it says, in which you, let's start at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So going back to verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So in every age, in every era, there is a spirit of the age and certain characteristics of that spirit become very prominent. And when Christians are not aware of it, they buy into it without knowing. During Daniel's time, it was evident. During David's time, it was evident. Different eras are different characteristics that used to manifest. And you need to be aware of it. So that's one thing. The second thing, and I don't know how to drive this point home, is that this is a spirit. It's very pervasive. It, it, it loves operating through the world. And it's all around you. You're inundated by it. You're bombarded by it. So I would suggest that it's a good idea to kind of be aware that there is something prevalent in the air literally in the air, that tries to influence our mindsets and our thought patterns. This is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. So why am I prefacing it this way? So that you take it seriously, because I do. Uh, that's not the reason you should take it seriously. You should take it seriously because it's in the scriptures. The spirit of this age is a spirit that fits you into the mold of prevalent culture. And do not think that you are not subject or um, susceptible to it. Do not think you're not susceptible to it. It doesn't matter who you are and what you do. It doesn't matter how pastoral or bishopy you are. You are still susceptible to it, which is why Paul writes about it. So the spirit of the age is a spirit that fits you into the mold of prevalent culture, fits you into the mold of prevalent culture, and it marinates you in the mindset of the world. It marinates you in the mindset of the world because you're continuously saturated in it. Your children are at its mercy if you as parents don't watch. Your children are at its mercy. At least you have the advantage of having perhaps grown up in a time where it wasn't as bad. But your children are at its mercy. Worldly, worldliness, if you want to define it, or the ways of the world, if you want to define it, Worldliness 
is what any culture does. And church culture also has it. So church has a culture too. Worldliness is what any culture does. And here's what every culture does. Every culture tries to make sin, self-centeredness, and the majority opinion normal. This is what every culture likes to do, tries to do, attempts to do, and is continuously at work at. I wish for an instance God could open our eyes to show us the spirit world around us. I wish for an instance God could open our eyes to show us the spirit world around us. And if you saw it, it would frighten us into obedience. But he won't do that because that's not the way he draws people to himself. But worldliness is when a culture tries to make sin, self-centeredness, and the majority opinion normal. And on the other hand, while it is doing that, worldliness also tries to make the right ways of God academic, archaic, strange, and hostile. So on one hand, it tries to make sin, self-centeredness, and the majority opinion. This is what is happening in North America, really. All you have to do is watch CNN. So on one hand, it tries to make sin, self-centeredness, and the majority opinion normal. On the other hand, the right ways of God and the right works of God are being made academic. As in, my God, they begin to discuss the Greek and the Hebrew of it for hours on it. People write books on it so that by the time you're done, your, your brain is a mushy mess. It, it either renders it a, it's academic or archaic where it's so old that it doesn't apply. Or it makes it strange as in your Christian ways are so strange. Or it makes it hostile where to take a stance for what God says is right now becomes, makes you the enemy of the rest of culture. The reason I'm saying this to you is because you have children or you will have children or you will be in charge of people younger than you. And they are being... They are being molded every day in your absence into this. You must be careful for their sake because you are way too old now. And there are certain parts of you that cannot be molded. Thank God for that. But your children, every day they're going through it and you are not present when this is happening to them. And that is almost 16 hours of the day you are not there. The six hours that they sleep, you're not there, but at least they're sleeping. Any questions? Because I really mean that. Yeah, so uh, when you go to school, there's a, there's an, there's a very different way of education that highlights things that are completely, not um, neutral, but anti-biblical. When you watch TV, everything takes from what culture wants to, um, what is almost all TV focus on? Sin, self-centeredness, majority opinion. That's the only way 
TV can be popular. You cannot have a popular program that will run more than a pilot or two shows if those three items are missing. It's not possible. There'll be no advertisers to sponsor it. Even Christian programs have to be made with sufficient dilution so that it appeals to a larger audience. You can't stick to the sheer truth but the, because the sheer truth is so boring. You may have escaped it and thank God for it and you may have reinforced yourself and praise God for it but what about your children and your children's children? Because grandparents sometimes play an even more critical role than the parents. Do not allow the right ways of God to be made academic by theologians or Bible schools. Anger rises up in me when I think of that. Eh? Unfortunately, it's an issue with me that I haven't gotten over. Archaic, where it's made old. Strange, but worse, hostile, man, where you cannot take a stance without being proven an enemy of the state. Literally, I'm not... I'm not exaggerating when I say enemy of the state. Try saying a few things and see if you can get away with it. I would love to, but you would lose your charitable uh, receipt next year. Um, it's a counterfeit spirit. This spirit is a counterfeit spirit. And the reason I say it's a counterfeit spirit is because it imposes not unity but uniformity. It's a counterfeit spirit. The spirit of this age is a counterfeit spirit. It, it imposes uniformity. It imposes uniformity. Guys, uh, uh, I, I'm repeating myself, but perhaps it's important. You need to listen to this for the sake of your children and your children's children and for the young ones who will come into your care. Because every day they're being pushed into a place of uniformity. It doesn't matter whether they go to a Christian school or a non-Christian school. A culture tries to mold you into this and it worms its way into places, eh? Through people. So it's a counterfeit spirit because it tries to impose uniformity and tries to build things out of bricks and not stones. This goes back all the way to Genesis 11 verse 3. And it's odd that God highlights it. In Genesis 11 verse 3 it says, And so they began to build the Tower of Babel. They all came together, united in purpose. And then it says, and they began to build, Genesis 11, 3, and they did not, they, they used brick instead of stone and asphalt instead of mortar. And yet, throughout biblical history, God has always built with stone and mortar, not with brick and asphalt. Bricks were baked in the kilns of Egypt, ordered by Pharaoh. God has always built with stones that have to somehow fit together. He never builds with bricks. There is a strange diversity that God preserves even in oneness. When a church becomes like, um, when you can't differentiate people, when everything in a church becomes the same, flee because something there is not right. Cults always have everybody parroting, behaving, saying, acting the same way. I must not happen at Acts 29. It should be different. God preserves this diversity so uniquely. He's got 8 billion and he's still creating and they all look different. Understand that your kids are being 
there's an attempt to try to make your kids uniform and to be as creative as the other as yeah you get it i call it counterfeit because very often uniformity is um, mistaken for unity it's it's not the same yeah cuz there is a tendency to think ah if you're all uniform it'll be fine no it's not it's a spirit that smothers belief and bridles godly passion it is a spirit that smothers belief it is a spirit that smothers belief and bridles godly passion as in this is i'm talking about the spirit of this age it 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 it, it smothers belief whenever you start taking the risk of believing in something that is impossible this spirit has the ability to smother belief smother is to not kill but to suffocate sufficiently so that you come gasping up for air and abandon the idea of doing anything else but surviving it smothers belief and it bridles passion it bridles godly passion in words and in actions that's something i spoke of last week that acts 29 has its godly passion bridled you must be troubled by first kings 1821 in first kings 1821 elijah has made this impassioned speech to israel and says choose this day who you will serve will you serve jehovah or will you serve baal and first kings 1821 says and the people said nothing there must be something that happens in you when someone makes a plea or makes a statement or a declaration about god and when that rises to hold it down is to make it stillborn it is not right you must see that it is the spirit of the age it is not it is not that you are not one type or the other i really don't want us to fake hallelujahs and praise the lords and make that kind of noise it's hypocritical it is it is drama god hates it but when that thing begins to rise in you because you hear something of god and your entire body is now trained to bridle the passion of god within you then know that it is not the holy spirit because the spirit of god is rising in your womb and then the spirit of the age overpowers it not because it is more powerful but because the traditions of men can nullify the works of god jesus said that don't let it happen don't let it happen it is evil it comes from the spirit of this age that used to have sway over us still has sway over the sons of disobedience but not over us and for different people it will be different you may not be as passionate about a sentence i speak or a sentence someone speaks but you might be passionate about something else and at that moment do not let it stay let a tiny little whisper come out first and then perhaps one year from now the whisper will be loud enough for your wife to hear good enough but you must start praise or declarations that are not spoken but are felt in the heart but are not spoken are still born and they die there is nothing to the english um way of living where i'm laughing inside there is no laughing inside in the bible eh 
This is a spirit that poisons you with the philosophies, the traditions of men, and demonic principles. First Corinthians uh, chapter, uh, sorry, Colossians two eight. Colossians two eight says, "Do not be, do not be deceived or deprived by the philosophies of the world, by the traditions of men." And by the elemental spirits of the world, or in some Bibles it says, by the elemental principles of the world. If you combine both, the word used there is stoichia, and it means the elemental demonic principles of the world are constantly active in this world. And the spirit of this age has the ability to influence children right from when they begin to see and hear and speak with the traditions of men, with the philosophies of the world and with demonic principles. What are demonic principles that you see around you? Can you call out some? Demonic principles that you see around you? Being abusive to parents? Me first? The more I have, the happier I am. Sorry? Anything is acceptable. Self-made men and women. My truth, your truth, there's, everything is relative. These sound harmless when we utter it in a context like this. But these are the, this is the fuel that runs the world. And it's exponentially... Um, uh, not growing, it's, it's, becoming, it's, it's like a juggernaut and it just rolls over anyone in its way, especially the young whose minds are impressive. You have to counter this, eh? and we'll talk about that, how to have a different spirit. It's a spirit that is double-minded. It is a spirit that is double-minded and it's double-minded how? It values facts over truth. It values facts over truth. It values common sense over God's power. I'm proud of some of you guys who I have seen stand up against facts and experience that stare you in the face and you look at facts and the experience that you are going through and you say, this may be a fact, this may be the experience, this may be what Google says, but this is the truth and you stand on it. I'm so proud of some of you guys who've done that. Your children will learn differently. Otherwise, this spirit leaves you double-minded. Double-mindedness always results in confusion and getting nothing. It's a spirit that causes you to be double-minded, choosing facts over truth, choosing common sense over the power of God. Common sense will always dictate that you do what, the, what is commonly done. Common sense does not require faith. Common sense does not need God. Common sense does not even require a bright person. You have enough common sense. If that is how you're going to live, you don't really need God. Here's the thing, guys. The moment we step into a place where we don't believe what we are supposed to, the moment we step into a place where facts rule over truth, the problem with unbelief is you will at some point, once you go down the road of unbelief, you will at some point begin to circulate false rumors about God. 
It's unfortunate, but it's just the way it is. Once you step into an area of unbelief, as in once you decide that this may be the truth, but these are the facts, and I cannot trust God in this, you will not be able to keep it to yourself. You will circulate false rumors. Israel had to go through this. Israel is standing there and the land is pl plentiful. They've, they're carrying on their shoulders grapes from the valley of Eshkol, but they also have seen the giants. They came back and they could not keep quiet. You will circulate false rumors about God. God said the land is good, yes, but please let the facts prevail that these giants are way too difficult to handle. Because unbelief cannot be kept quiet, just as faith cannot be kept quiet. And unfortunately, when you start spreading false rumors, you're not spreading false rumors about your neighbor, you're spreading false rumors about God. This is why when my experience dictates something, I have to more loudly, even if I don't believe it, say what is true till I believe it. You may say that's hypocritical. It's a divine hypocrisy. Say what is true even though you don't believe it till you believe it. God directed self-talk. Meditate. It's a spirit that binds you to security. It's a spirit that binds you to security. It makes you an addict to security. You, you get bound to this idea of security and in being bound to security, it castrates kingdom potency. It castrates kingdom potency and it renders you undangerous. It renders you undangerous. It renders you undangerous. This spirit has the ability to make you addictive or addicted to security. And once it makes you addicted to security, it castrates kingdom potency in you. Because you cannot have security in the things of the world and step out for the kingdom. It does not work. Jesus said it long ago. Count the cost. When you count the cost, Jacob, you will find that you do not have what you require to uh, pay. And once you re realize you don't have what, it, uh, what you need, now step out, having come to the full conclusion that I cannot meet this demand, I cannot pay this cost. Having counted it, I now step out absolutely afloat on the grace and the power of God. Count the cost was not so that you count the cost and say, oh, I can't do this, let me re retire. Count the cost was face the fact that regardless of how much you have, it ain't enough. And now that you've stared the absolute um, futility of what you have, step out. And the thing is, this spirit binds you to security, castrating kingdom potency, and renders you undangerous. Churches must not be full of undangerous people. Don't think of yourself, think of your children, and your children's children, and your sister's children, and your brother's children, if you don't have any, and your young ones that come to your path. Think about them and come against the spirit of this age because it is, it is as thick as the air you breathe and the only one thicker than that is the Holy Spirit. 
But till your children learn how to breathe in the Holy Spirit, you must keep them. And you must keep them by being active, not waiting for something to happen so you can be reactive. You must guard them every day against the spirit that is all around them. When I say your children, till they leave your home, they're your kids, man. Guard them. It's a spirit that blunts the different spirit or the excellent spirit that God gives his children. In the Bible, there are two places. One in Numbers 14.24, God says about Caleb, Hey Caleb, I have given you a different spirit. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 12, he says about Daniel, Hey Daniel, in you is an excellent spirit. A different spirit or an excellent spirit is given by God. And when people who have a different and excellent spirit are able to nurture and sustain it, because every child of God has a different and excellent spirit. It's just that in the face of the spirit of the age, it just lies dormant. And the spirit of the age has the ability to blunt this different spirit or excellent spirit that you possess and that your kids possess. It has the ability to blunt it. How does blunting happen? Blunting happens... (laughs) again, it starts when they are very young and it continues through the ages. It continues into our churches. It blunts by first recalibrating the measure of success. It recalibrates the measure of success. It decides what your children will think is successful. It decides what your value of success is. It recalibrates the measure of success. This is how this, the spirit of the age blunts the excellent spirit we possess, possess. It tells you what your recalibrated measure of success is. It tells you how much to earn, which course to apply for, what to turn out as, which job to pick. It does everything for you so that right from when you are a child, you are aspiring for a measure that God never set for you. It recalibrates the measure of success. I'll give you biblical evidence. It offers you a new identity. It offers you a new identity. It hangs the carrot of a new identity. And then it encourages you to dilute your morality to achieve the success and the identity. It dilutes your morality. It it, it invites you to just Lower your morality or your standards of purity so that these new measures of success, this new attractive identity that is being offered to you can become yours just by compromising a little, not much. And it's being offered to your kids. And it's being offered to you, by the way. When you read Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 to 7, Daniel 1, 3 to 7, Daniel 1, 3 to 7. I'm reading from the NIV. Daniel 1, 3 to 7. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in king's palace, 
He was to teach them the language and the literature of Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Let me read it from the message. The king told Ashpenaz, head of the palace staff, to get some Israelites from royal family and nobility. Young men who were healthy and handsome, intelligent and well-educated, good prospects for leadership positions in the government, perfect specimens, and indoctrinate them in the Babylonian language and the lore of magic and fortune-telling. The king then ordered them to be ser served from the same menu as the royal table, the best foods, the finest wines. After three years of training, they would be given positions in the king's court. Four young men from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were among those selected. The head of the palace staff gave them Babylonian names. Daniel was Belteshazzar, Hananiah was Shadrach, Mishael was Meshach, Azariah was Abednego. The point is, there were 15,000 young men who left Israel. 15,000 young men Babylon brought from Jerusalem because these were young men of nobility. These were young men from royal lineage. 15,000 men were brought. 15,000 young men. And they were trained. Some of the men are mentioned here in the book of Daniel. Out of the 15,000 brought, the only ones who resisted were these four. They would not eat pork, but the king would serve them pork. They would not drink certain kinds of wine. The king was serving them wine. What was being offered to them was a scholarship instead of slavery, was a banquet instead of bread and potatoes. You think you and I are not susceptible to it? May I suggest to you that some of you have already taken it? I've done this in my life where I've gone for the dainties of the king's table and for measures of success that the world said would be right for you, Jacob, and I went that way. Thank God I escaped the clutches of these things. Neither I nor Acts 29 would be where it is if I went the way that God said, would, that the world said would make a successful church. It's odd. These qualities are highly prized. There's nothing wrong with it. The spirit of this age prizes personal appearance. Nothing wrong with personal appearance. It's good if you have a better dress sense than me. The spirit of this age prizes professional abilities. That's good. One should encourage that. It prizes skill and intelligence. It prizes potential for advancement. And it prizes these highly sought values and there's nothing wrong with it. But the strange thing is, Daniel did not occupy the positions he finally occupied because of any of these qualities. He occupied them simply because he had an excellent spirit. Do you know what was going to happen to Daniel along with others who had these prized values? They were going to chop off their heads. And then one man goes to the king and says, there is one amongst the Hebrews who has the spirit of the gods dwelling in him. He actually helped your father when your father had dreams. So why don't you call him? 
And Daniel and his friends were waiting for their heads to be chopped off because the king saw a dream that he did not remember. And he's asking his magicians and astrologers to tell him the dream that he dreamt that he did not remember and then to interpret the dream that he dreamt that he did not remember. It's happened to me once. I was in Indonesia and an army general's daughter came, uh, he sent her, and she said, I've got uh, something in my mind that I won't tell you, that I want you to tell me and pray for it so that it happens. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's an army general, what do I do? And so I turned to Himavan, the guy who brought her, and I said, never again. Uh, and yet uh, her son had a tumor in his brain, and God showed it. And so I said, it's to do with your son, and it's something to do with his brain. And uh, she couldn't believe it, man. But never again. (laughs) 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 The point being this, it it wasn't even an unspoken prayer request. It was a prayer request that she wasn't going to give until God showed it. But the point here is, Daniel did not get to the positions he got to because of these great prized possessions that are highly valued in the world. He got there because of an excellent spirit. What I'm trying to say is, is it possible for you? Is it possible for me as a pastor? Is it possible for you to, as a parent or a business owner, as an employer, uh, who, as an employee who is in charge of people? Is it possible to help people cultivate an excellent and a different spirit in your students, in your employees, in the people who come to church, in your children? Is it possible to do that instead of choosing to go down the route that Babylon always goes? I don't know whether it's common to parents in North America, but in Asia, parents love this stuff. This is why every child has to go for piano lessons. Every child has to go for this and that and the other because your kid has to be creme de la creme. If you don't make UBC, you ain't worth it. And look after all the UBC stuff that Derek and Don did. Look, can't fix a light bulb. Okay, sorry, I'm talking about Derek now. (laughs) Yeah, they can't. They can't move a piano. And in the process, jam Jeevan against the wall so that there's, a, there's an impression of him on your wall. Yeah. Unfortunately, instead of cultivating an excellent spirit in our children and our churches, we place greater emphasis on the Babylonian model. And yet, 1 Corinthians 1, 25 to 29, you should read it in the message. 1 Corinthians 1, 25 to 29. This doesn't mean that you guys who are in school should now say, well, dad, well, mom, that's it. I'm not studying anymore. I'm going to start a coffee shop. That is not the idea. Just in case you were thinking that, Liji, I've already wandered. And so um, that's not the idea. The idea is these are not the things that we establish as marks of success. These are not. And you need to repent of it because all of us are subject to this. Please understand. All of us are subject to this. I'll give you time to repent as I do need it to. 
So 1 Corinthians 1, verse 25, from the message. <laughs> Human wisdom is so tinny, so important, next to the seeming absurdity of God. Human strength can't begin to compete with God's weakness. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. <laughs> Any questions before we go on? Can you just take a little time to repent of allowing the, the spirit of this age to touch you or your family or the way you live? Can you repent of what you may have seen as marks of success, as the identity that you want for yourself? You know what Michelle means? Michelle means... He is who God is. You know what Meshach means? He is who the moon god Aku is. Slight change. Michelle means he is who God is. Meshach means he who he is who the moon god is. Just a slight change. Can you just repent? of success as a pastor, as success as a church. What have I said? Because what I have said will affect you. And that's how I'm going to measure you. How do I measure you? What if they don't beat my qualifications? Then what happens? They get sidelined? You have no idea how trickle-down effect this is. Sorry that I haven't waged war against the spirit of this age as it wages war against the kingdom of God. I'm sorry for desiring anything for Acts 29. I know for myself that did not come from what you said as a standard. Becoming undangerous and important.
Let's look at how we can define a different spirit. Caleb had a different spirit. Go to Numbers 14. Ah, shucks. I won't be able to finish. Numbers 14, verse 24. Numbers 14, verse 24. Numbers 14, verse 24. Numbers 14, verse 24. And it says there, let's read from verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you ask. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. So what defines a different spirit? First, surprisingly, it goes back to something we've been talking about, God declarations in the midst of negativity, in the midst of negativity. We are defining what a different spirit is like. Someone with a different spirit, and may I remind you that because you're born again, you have a different and excellent spirit. Someone with a different spirit is someone who has the ability to make God declarations in the midst of overwhelming negativity. Numbers 14, Numbers 14, verse 6 to 10. Overwhelming negativity around you, either because of people around you or because of your own circumstances. Numbers 14, 6 to 10. Starting at five, then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered together. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among them who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them, but the the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. To be able to continuously hold fast to the truth or to the declaration that God has made. Even though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And under circumstances that are overwhelmingly negative, to keep on declaring the goodness of God. This is part of having a different spirit, guys. I remember when I was in severe pain in Indonesia, one strange thing began to happen. I began to say to God things like, oh God, what have I done wrong? Why is this pain going on? Tell me what I need to do. I'll repent. I'll do whatever you want. Please take this pain away. And as I kept doing that, God was coming out really ugly. He was coming out like a guy who is looking for an opportunity to do me harm. And I remember calling up Chantel's mom and asking them to pray and I was telling her about this and she stops and says um, this doesn't sound like your father so why are you 
talking like this and praying like this. I had to repent of it. I remember going up after that and saying, Father, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry for making you sound like a like an ogre who is looking for ways to do me harm. I'm really sorry I'm saying stuff like, oh God, please take this away. Tell me what to do. I'll repent. Whatever sin you want me to get rid of, I'll do. Please take this away. Oh God. It sounded like he was a tyrant who... who it, it was horrible. I was so ashamed of what I was doing. Sometimes even our pleas to God that sound terribly Christianese are actually an affront to him because it makes him look nasty. Imagine one of Dano's kids coming, Dad, please take this pain away. What do you want me to do? Can I clean up the yard? Can I eat less? Can I polish your shoes? Tell me what to do. What do you think it will do to the father? God declarations in the midst of overwhelming negativity. The second thing, uh, the second thing is, man, this Caleb was something else, man. He goes back 45 years to a promise that God gave him and he stays alive and wrestles through it because he knows that 45 years ago God gave me a promise. Go to Joshua, Joshua chapter 14. Uh, you know, we get so hung up with Joshua and others that we forget other heroes like Caleb. You know how many giants David killed? One. You know how many giants Caleb killed? A whole tribe. Well, who do we write songs about? David, because it sounds better in a song. Caleb doesn't fit in a song well. What do you rhyme with Caleb? Bravid? Uh, go to Joshua 14. Joshua 14. I don't know, David somehow it fits more in a song than Caleb loved the Lord. doesn't go well. David loved the Lord, yes. Joshua chapter 14. Ah, look at this man. Look at what he says, starting verse 6. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. Beautifully, eh? I brought him back a report according to my convictions. You know what convictions are? In the U.S. courts, a conviction is something you're willing to go to prison for. You can say, I believe, and it's okay. You can change your beliefs. I have an opinion, that's okay. You can change your opinions. But the moment you say, I have a conviction, what you're saying is, this is so deep that I will go to prison for it. And he says there that, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions, but my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. That's what I meant by circulating rumors. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on the day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord your God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, look at it, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and the cities were large 
and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. And Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiryat Arba. You know what Kiryat Arba means? Kiryat Arba means the greatest of giants. It was named after one of the greatest of giants. Hebron used to be called Kiryat Arba after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. A different spirit wrestles to inherit the promise. A different spirit wrestles to inherit the promise. Guys, wrestling is always grappling for position. Wrestling is always jockeying for position. Wrestling is always jockeying for positions. Jockey for position. Whenever a promise is given to you, jockey for position. Because whenever a promise is released to you, know that there is an enemy who actively wants to stop the promise from happening. You don't need to rebuke and drive him out and all this stuff. Do whatever is necessary to jockey into position where you have the upper hand. This man, because of a promise that was given to him, stayed healthy, vigorous, absolutely not old, full of passion. Why? Because the promise sustained him. Do you know what sustains some of the guys in Israel? The bones of Joseph. How do the bones of Joseph, how, the, how do the bones of a dead man cause people to be sustained? Because Joseph had said that one day you will bury my bones in the promised land. And these slaves would come back, their backs opened by the whips of the Egyptians and they would go past this tent where the bones of Joseph were kept and they would remember, a day is coming, a day is coming when we will carry these bones and bury them in the promised land. A promise is worth holding on to and if you can hold on to it with faith, it has the power to invigorate, quicken your mortal bodies. Quicken your mortal bodies. Many different ways to live long, guys. And we got to be visibly and audibly different from the faithless religious generation that you find in churches. Eh? We've got to be visibly different. None of the promises can be promises if they're not spoken by God and repeated by men. Do not think that you can survive on a promise by being silent about it. Hear me again. You cannot... Have a promise live if you don't speak about it. And someone will have to come against the spirit of the age in this church that smothers expression. Someone will have to come against it. It cannot be me. Because I'm doing it anyways. I'm talking about when someone speaks and if I'm sitting there, then it applies to me too. But someone has to come against it because it is so difficult to break that in Acts 29. That someone has to begin the, begin the practice of daring to speak in a whisper. When God moves you, not when Jacob moves you, but when God moves you. And slowly as you begin to do that, this thing will break. We just need three or four different cracks in the wall and the water will gush. Don't do it for me. Don't do it for hallelujah. Do it when God touches you. Eh? Third point. Uh, man, 
this guy had unflinching strength unflinching strength i am as strong this day as on the day that moses sent me guys a different spirit does not backslide with regard to passion a different spirit does not backslide with regard to passion passion in fact fuels strength find things that are you going to retire shortly find things that fuel your passion otherwise all of you will retire are you changing jobs find things that fuel your passion are you changing uh, the pathway that god has for you find things that fuel your passion are you a student find things that fuel your passion because passion fuels strength Dif- people with different spirits and all of us who are born again have different spirits people with different spirits do not backslide with regard to passion they do not do you know the number of old people who after 65 do not do much in acts 20 um, do not do much in church no no uh, i i didn't mean acts 29 i meant in church all they do is give decent offerings may that not happen to us eh next point <laughs> a different spirit asks for challenges a different spirit asks for challenges give me this mountain a different spirit asks for challenges a different spirit asks for challenges you must ask you can't ask for normal stuff you have to ask for challenges a different spirit asks for challenges give me this mountain i always every year i ask this question what is it in your life that you are presently doing that requires oodles of faith that you've never attempted before what is it that you're presently doing that you've never gone into before and you need faith for it different spirit asks for challenges give me this mountain caleb asked for terrain where the giants lived you know this is the same place that petrified the 10 spies what's the guy trying to do he's trying to prove the report that he gave out of his convictions 45 years ago 45 years ago he said to the israelites hey listen their protection is taken away they are like bread before us we can take them 45 years he held on to that conviction that report that he gave and what is he asking for at 85 he's saying can i please have the same place that i spoke about as saying they can be taken now that i'm 85 can i please have that place back that was the very place where israel fell and that is the very place i want because i want to prove that my report was right whose report shall we believe ron canoli we shall believe the report of the lord and he goes back to the same place where the 10 spies were petrified that he never got a chance to show that god is who god is and he says please give me those hills he waited for 40 years to prove what he had said would happen and he proves it eh david killed one giant caleb killed a tribe last two points a different spirit submits to authority a different spirit submits to authority even though it's entitled even though it's entitled it submits to authority caleb and joshua went together caleb seemed to have the greater role during the conquest 
He says, remember, Joshua, you came with me, but remember what Moses said to me? I'm supposed to have this land. Caleb and Joshua were the, the sages of Israel. They were the oldest of the Lord. Yet, because he knew that Joshua was chosen as a successor to Moses, Caleb did not just go ahead and take what is entitled to him, and that he rightly deserved, and from the mouth of God. Instead, he goes and asks Joshua. Sometimes, purpose is more precious than position or privilege. Purpose is more precious than position of privilege. Purpose is more precious than position of privilege. Be ready to give up your position. Be ready to give up your privilege. Because in getting position and privilege, you may lose purpose. But purpose is more precious than position or privilege. Guys, I want to say this to you. Just because you commit to something doesn't mean you have to see it through if you find out that it ain't God. Just because you commit to something, don't keep your word when you find out that, oops, this was not God and you gave your word. Break your word. Sometimes we have this noble idea that because I've given my word, I have to see it through. If you find out that the word you gave was not a good idea, please break your word. Proverbs talks about it. If you give a guarantee for a guy... Go quickly and do what is necessary to get out of it before you lose the shirt on your back. I'm not saying break your word indiscriminately. I'm saying break your word when you find out that you've broken covenant or agreement with God. Last point, because we can't go further than that. A different spirit activates rest in time of trouble. The last verse in Joshua 14 verse 15 says that... uh, and then he took Kiriath-Jerim Kiriath, uh, and named it Hebron. And once he got his inheritance, they entered into a time of rest. A different spirit activates rest in times of trouble. Jesus would do this. Eh? He would be in the middle of a storm and he would wake up. And in the middle of the storm, there would be rest. A different spirit activates rest in the middle of the storm. You become the pillow that people can lay their heads on. You become the pillow that people can lay their heads on in the boat in the middle of a storm because somehow you have a different spirit that does not get frantic in the middle of a storm. We won't be able to do the rest now. But uh, what I was going to talk about was how do we sustain a different spirit and uh, two points that I would have made today and then the rest later. First point is first love. I know you've heard about it before, but we won't go there. I just want to read out this line. Uh, which really bothered me. You know, I can never understand when people say that, remember when you first were a believer, you were so much in love with God and you are not in love with God as much now. I can't can't fathom that because I find that I'm far more in love with him now than I was when I first met him because I know him more. But here's where I find a problem. I find that when I first met God, I had more time that I would give to him than I give now. And Love is measured in time. There I fall short. I remember I would just sit and read and read and read, sit and think and talk and converse and write. First love sometimes is not the intensity that you love him with right now. The intensity may have increased actually because you know him better. 
the ease with which you connect with him may have increased because you know him better. But what I think we miss out on as we get older in God is that we do not give him the priority of time. And love is always measured in time. Wives cannot figure out why husbands cannot understand that love is measured in time. But it is, and it's a God thing, eh? It's not a husband thing. The priority of time. And this line, I've read it before at Acts 29, but it's very, very bothersome. Listen to it, and I assure you I'm ending with these lines. A dull spirit is often the result of treating God like a pigeon in the park that has thrown leftover crumbs after a long day of caring about other things. A dull spirit is often the result of treating God like a pigeon in the park that has thrown leftover crumbs after a long day of caring about other things. Like the guests who excuse themselves in Luke 14, 18, I use my busy schedule to justify not attending my master's banquet and then uses blood to exonerate the guilt of ignoring him. And then uses blood to exonerate the guilt of ignoring him. And these lines have bothered me because I'm finding out that I love him more. I find it easy to enter his presence. I f I'm far more in love with him than I was when I first met him. But when it comes to time, my busy schedule prevents me from giving him the priority of time. And at the end of the day, love is measured in time. Let's pray. Father, this is pretty intense, Abba. It's a solid message into our hearts that you're sending. I thank you, Holy Spirit, because you're the teacher.